I hope you've had a great start to 2021. I hope your, your pets are okay with all the fireworks going on. Somewhere along the line, people got confused about when you shoot off your little redneck fireworks, which is what I call When I was a kid, I didn't care to go to the big displays. If I had a few little tanks and sparklers and firecrackers, I'd rather be at my grandparents and, and us cousins do our own thing. You know, if you're from the South, you just want to blow stuff up, I guess. So now that I've got a little boy, I'll learn that the hard way in the coming years. <clears throat> but for several days, several nights, you just hear people shooting these fireworks, and you say, are y'all confused? Because I think this was two or three days ago. And then yesterday, I saw a video on Facebook from Kate's birth father, who's in the Army, and he is stationed in Hawaii. If y'all ever want to see a fireworks display... You don't even have to go to Hawaii. Just look up Hawaii, New Year's Eve, and fireworks. He posted this video and he laughed and he said, this is the way they do it here every year. And just so you know, fireworks are illegal here. You, the person, whoever, there's multiple videos, but the person with the camera just, just has to scan. And it is the wildest thing that you have ever seen. All over the southern part of that island, around Waikiki, Honolulu, and all that, if you were to go up on Diamond Head, those of you that are familiar with Hawaii area, and just look, it would, it, would, it would be amazing because it's just constant. And it looks like everything's happening right here in this little cluster, but it's really the whole southern part of the island. And what I started thinking, knowing my topic for today was, who paid for all this stuff? I mean, if, you, if you put all the money that was just blown up in those 15 minutes or so that were on the videos that I saw, I'm just wondering about the, the financial hit that families together took, but also wherever they're getting these fireworks, who is selling them, and they, they had a good start to their, to their new year. <clears throat> I said that to talk about, to introduce the subject of money, and you can see that our topic is choosing how I spend my money. Now, I didn't come to this randomly just thinking, hey, I don't get very, the chance to preach very often, so when I do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit them with a talk about money. Because if you've seen here in a year and a half, I don't remember a sermon Dr. Page has done on money. Now, I know we have our offertory scripture, and the, for the past several weeks before Christmas, he was answering questions about tithes and offerings and those sorts of things as he stood down here at the end of the service. But... Don't, don't leave here mad today saying all they ever talk about is money because this is going to be the first sermon on money that you've heard since I've been here and that's as long as any of the non-Pebble Creek has been here because I was here two weeks prior to y'all. So I know we're good on, on uh, sermons about money. But just before we begin, don't think that this is a sermon on tithing. Tithing is going to be a part of the first point, but this is a sermon on basic money management principles. And the reason that I'm even doing this is because for the past month or so with our youth on Wednesday night, I have been leading them through a book that my friend Ralph Carter wrote. And the title of the book is You Make the Call. And it's just, it, it's, it's for adults and I'm having to rewrite it and, and make it apply to teenagers. But there's, there's chapters on dating and chapters on picking your friends. And I got a couple of sermons ahead as I'm writing these things, and the one that I just recently wrote, in fact, that was this week, was on managing your money. How to manage your money. What are some basic principles for managing your money that set you up for success? So when I found out that I was going to get to preach, not have to, get to preach again this week, 
I looked through a bunch of sermons and I couldn't, God didn't lead me to anything that was from the past. I just kept coming back to what I had been working on this week. So you get to be the guinea pigs and if you're a teenager or you have teenagers, don't don't keep them away from a couple Wednesday nights. They can come back and hear it in a different format that is not written specifically to adults. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, Wherever your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will also be. And we could talk about money for months. There are, there are programs that you could enter into and go through for months, for semester-long classes and courses on these things. And the major number one guy that everybody wants to talk about and present in Christian life right now, I don't, even, I don't even use this stuff and don't want to and have no desire to. And if you do, that's totally fine with you. But the Christian financial advisor that I followed is now dead. It was Larry Burkett. And he started an organization called Crown Ministries. And there's very good material um, that I have used with adults and with teenagers. And that it, the organization is still in existence. So what I taught and presented came from them. If you're using the modern stuff, the, the guru from today, that's, that's your prerogative, and you'll learn some good stuff from there. Just be careful that you don't go in on all that stuff hook, line, and sinker. We need money to live, and money affects just about every part of our life. So learning how to manage it responsibly is going to have a huge impact on the course our lives take, how our lives go. But for now, I want to give three simple and biblical lessons we should learn, regardless of your age and regardless of your wealth, regardless of your bank account number, that will keep us from lots of financial trouble. Starts with, number one, honor God with every cent of your money. Honor God with every cent of your money. At what age should you start doing this? At what age should you start honoring God with every cent of your money? Beginning. The beginning. When, when you begin to understand what money is, that's the time when you should start honoring God with every cent of your money. Therefore, parents must begin teaching their children to honor God with their money soon as they understand what a dollar means and what a dollar will buy. When you're 12 and you earn $20, or you receive $100 for Christmas or birthday, it matters just as much what you do with that $20 or $100 as it does when you're 20 and you earn $500, or when you're 40 and you're managing $100,000. They all matter. It matters just as much for the 8-year-old, the 15-year-old, the 50-year-old, the 80-year-old that you honor God with every cent of your money. And in fact, the money habits that we learn from early in life are going to be hard to overcome later in life, for better or worse. If you learn to honor God with every cent of your money from an early age, it's going to be hard to overcome that, and that's a good thing. But if you learn that every bit of money you give is to be spent on you and yours and your wishes and your selfish desires, it's going to be hard to overcome that as you grow in age and physically mature as well. So even though both of my parents are no longer here, I'm thankful that I had Christian parents who taught me to give back to God from my earliest memories. 
We didn't always get allowances, but when we did or we received birthday cards with generally a few ones or, or fives in it, I thank God for the tens that came back in those years. But we were taught, we were required to honor God with what we had been given and to give back to God a portion of what he had blessed us with. The quarter or dollar that I gave when I was small, I knew that it mattered. I saw from our churches, where I spent the majority of my children's ministry years, I saw that within that children's ministry, that my quarters, my nickels, my dollars sometimes, they mattered and they could make a difference. I remember in our children's church, we, I don't remember the specifics, but it was some missions offering. And our leader gave us, us children, a goal of $100 to raise by, let's just say, Christmas. And we're, you know, 25, 30 kids looking around knowing that we bring quarters and nickels and pennies and put them in our little offering box each week. We're saying, $100, are you crazy? We could never do that in the next few months. And before the, the, the finish line even came, I remember him standing up there bragging to us about how generous we had been and that we had reached our $100 goal. So I learned as a child in my church that my quarters and my dollars mattered and that God could use them to accomplish greater things than he could just my quarter individually by itself. And I'm thankful for a church like that. And I'm thankful that my parents ensured that I was brought up in a church that taught me to honor God. Are you getting the point? With every cent of my money. Because each cent belongs to God, whether we have a little or whether we have a lot. And we start honoring God by giving back to him. That's the beginning, by giving back to him. The first thing we do with our money is to give back to him. This is going to be a touchy subject for some of you, and some of you are going to go home and start reading through the scriptures, and that is a wonderful thing, and I want you to do that. And I want you to get some commentary help as you do that. The Old Testament required giving God a tenth, a tithe. And we get hung up on that sometimes today as, as Christians and as churches. But it also, the law also required the Israelites to give other offerings, and when combined, it was about 23% of their income. The New Testament doesn't teach that. The New Testament doesn't teach to give 10%. The New Testament doesn't teach to give 23%. The New Testament teaches something that is greater than that. The New Testament teaches to give cheerfully, joyfully, generously, sacrificially. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7, you're familiar with the verses. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So the New Testament teaches cheerful giving. And throughout the New Testament, the offerings were taken to support missions, to support local churches, to support the needs of a local church, the local assembly, the local community of believers, to pay the pastor's salaries. These are the reasons that the offerings were given. In other words, to carry on and continue the work of building and growing God's kingdom. So what do I think? I think a tenth is a very good place to start, but I don't think it's where we should end up. 
land settle on. Giving back to God shows that we love and trust Him. We should want to give back to Him to support our own church and God's kingdom work all over the world, including here. And we should want to give sacrificially and consistently and joyfully. The New Testament principle of giving leaves no room for legalistic limits where one person who might give 10% could lord it over somebody else who has never heard about this and they're a new believer or they've just not been an obedient believer and they're just starting to give. It's like, well, I give 10% and you don't and I'm better than you. Or, or I'm giving... It doesn't give a legalistic limit for that. It's, hey, Kevin, you give sacrificially, and you give generously, and you give joyfully. And it's, hey, you put your name in there. You do the same. And there's a lot required, and I'm not going to get into it sometimes for us to be able to start giving. I will say this much. You might be in a place right now where you say, I haven't been able to give in years, and I still can't give right now, and that's an absolute lie. You do something with every cent of your money, and most of it is spent on self. There are things that you can do, just like things that my family's had to do in the past couple years since I've last had a... Kelly and I've had to adjust. If y'all don't know, I left a full-time position more than two years ago, and that's still the situation that we're in. We've had to adjust. We've had to change. We've had to alter the way that we're doing um, college funding for two kids and now it's three. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying if, if, if our family can do things, you can do things. I'm grateful that God gave me a wife that's content to drive an old car with a hundred and thousand miles on it. Kelly would love to have a Tahoe. She's talked about one for years. But Kelly is not the type that says, I'm going to have that car that I want so I have captain's chairs in a third row because we have three kids now, and I'm going to have that even if it busts us financially. I'm grateful that my wife is not like that. I've never been like that. I've never been able to be like that. I've always had to live within my means, which we'll talk about coming up. And I'm grateful that God gave me a wife who is like-minded at that, and we are not constantly butting heads over finances. There's a dating lesson coming up with our youth ministry this Wednesday night. I encourage you to have your your teenagers there as we talk about these things that will cause dating in theirs as, as well. Future, you marry who you date. So if you see that you're butting heads in a beginning relationship, it's probably going to get worse as it gets older. Just like my knuckles are starting to hurt right now, it's going to get worse as it gets older. It's probably not going to get better. There's probably a different type of person that God would have you to be with. But I'll leave that for Wednesday night. No legalistic limits is what the New Testament leaves. It teaches us to give generously and joyfully and all those things that I have mentioned multiple times. 10% is a true sacrifice for some people. Some of us need to, as, a, as, as I've just said, make some changes in our life so that we are able to give to God's work instead of saying, it's all I can do to pay my bills. I don't have anything to give. There are ways that you can cancel some things, alter some things, maybe eat at home a few times a week, and have plenty to give to God and his work through the year. And then, as you see that you were able to do that and it didn't kill you, you can increase your giving sacrificially and find out what a joy it is to be involved in supporting your local church, 
and you having a hand in the ministries that your church is involved in. Some people, 10% is no sacrifice at all. For some people, they can give so far above 10% that it's... Have you ever heard of somebody reverse tithing? There's been several celebrity pastors that are just super wealthy because of book sales and such, and they have become reverse tithers where they're living on the 10% and they're giving God the 90%. See, there's no legalistic limit. If you have abundant wealth and you're content just to give God this and it's a legalistic, no, I do this, I'm good, but there is no sacrifice involved, come on. What could God really do through you? And we'll get to this a little bit later as well. We should never feel satisfied or prideful about some good work that we have done or are doing, including giving financially, as if we have done enough for God at this point. But aside from what we give, let's leave that aside. What we give and whatever number percent you think is good, it's over here, aside from that. What we do with the rest of our money should also honor God. If I love Jesus, I will never think I give 5% or I give 10% or 15% or whatever the percentage is. So I can do whatever I want with the rest. It's mine. God cares what we do with every cent. In Colossians 3.17, Paul says, And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And you know that applies to every area of life, including how we manage our money. So obviously we shouldn't waste our money on blatantly sinful things. I don't think there's a question of those things that are blatantly sinful. You, you don't need to be spending your money in those areas. But we shouldn't spend on things that take our focus from God and his kingdom either. And for every individual, there is a different lure. There is a different temptation. There are things that you can do that don't have any draw for me. Not a problem. And there are things that are a temptation, a big lure for me to sin. They're not any problem for you. So again, we can't make these legalistic measures that say, if you do this and if you do that. In the gray area, we have to live by conviction and boundaries. If God has blessed you with wealth as a Christian, don't you think he had a better reason than just for you to use it all on yourself and your family? Is that a tough question for you to hear today? If God has specifically blessed you with money, with wealth, with financial means, don't you think he had a greater goal in mind than just for you to have this wealth and for you to spend it all on you and your family? Y'all ready for me just to exit out the back door right now, correct? Do you think God cares if you check out on serving, attending, and supporting your local church to start spending all your time with the things that you have bought or invested in? Do you think God's okay when financially we get to the point where we have our focus diverted and I don't even want to call things out so you think I'm picking on some individual? So I'll just use what would have gotten me as a child. Let's just say sports. So as a parent, I am financially able now so that I can leave my church, focus over here, and start focusing on spending all my money on pushing my kid into this area. 
weekend after weekend after weekend. So no longer can I, can I be a Sunday school teacher at my church. No longer can I serve in this way. No longer can I even be present there because most of the time I'm going to be over here. See, that's one of the things affluent people start doing with their money is pushing their kids in the directions they want their kids to go to fulfill some dream that maybe the parent didn't get to fulfill. Secondly, though, live within your means. That's tough, isn't it? Live within your means. Don't try to live a lifestyle that your bank account can't afford. You can live a lifestyle that your bank account can't afford for a very little while, but it involves getting in debt and crushing yourself financially. One year I took a busload of teenagers and adults on a Christmas shopping trip. Coming home after we had spent all day at this big outlet center, hours. I'm driving, so I have to keep my focus up there, but Kelly's sitting right behind me, and there's another adult sitting across the aisle from Kelly, so I could hear the conversation. I couldn't comment on it, and I'm glad that engine's too loud, it's sitting right here, but I could hear it. <clears throat> Kelly was telling that she had found some knockoff Danskos, Im imitation girl shoes, big clod hopper kiss from the 70s kind of shoes. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just forget it. Those things cost like $130, I believe. She had found some for about $50. Look exactly the same, but they didn't say Danskos on them. Now this person that she was talking to had quit his job in the previous year to start his own business. Well, that business had failed. And they were living primarily on the wife's income. They had never changed their standard of living. And they were struggling financially. So when Kelly started telling him about some shoes that she had found that only cost $50 instead of $130, I was really interested in where this was going to go. And I was very disappointed in his response. He said, my wife ain't wearing that. We ain't wearing knockoffs. We got to have the real thing. My heart sank because I knew exactly the situation that they were in. And I realized part of the reason why they were in it. Because they continued to live like they had, and they were not willing to live within their means. I want you to know that they rode that attitude all the way to financial disaster and a divorce. Live within your means. If you're too proud to live without things you can't afford, finish the sentence. You're too proud. If you're too proud to live without things you can't afford, you're too proud. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. If your pride causes you to live beyond your means, humble yourself. Your identity and your worth are not based on the cost of your clothes, the cost of the neighborhood that you live in, the house, the car you drive, the gadgets you have, and whether they're the real thing or some knockoff. Furthermore, if you think your identity and worth are based on things like this and you're still living like a middle school person who has to have all these things to be accepted by your peers, if you're still living like that as an adult, man, you don't understand your true identity. 
and you've got bigger problems that money can't solve for you. The truth is your identity and worth are based on the fact that you were created in the image of God and that He loves you and that His Son died on a cross for you to offer you forgiveness of your sins and have an eternal relationship with you. That is where your identity lies. Not in stuff and not what you drive and not where you live and not how big your house is and not how new this is or what kind of shoes you wear or whether they're the real thing or the knockoff. See, it's not just middle schoolers that struggle with that identity of, well, I got to have this stuff so that people think that I have stuff and that I'm able to buy real stuff. For some people, that doesn't stop in middle school or high school or college or age 50. It carries on and on and on. And they continue to live outside of their means. Well, Dr. Carter advises several things here. These aren't scripture verses, but they are wise counsel, so I'm just going to read three of them to you. He says, you never owe anyone an explanation about what you can or cannot afford. An apology is not needed for acting responsibly. Quote number two, if you hang out with people who are constantly doing things you can't afford... Find new friends. And thirdly, don't let an advertisement or a person pressure or shame you into spending money you don't have or don't want to spend. Choose for yourself what you do with your money. Our third basic principle for avoiding financial disaster and honoring God with our money is to delay gratification. Delay gratification. That means don't spend impulsively. You shouldn't buy everything you think you want at that very moment because it will destroy your financial health if you do. Some of those things that you have bought impulsively, it didn't even take you an hour of getting home with it to say, what a dummy. I I didn't need this. I can't afford this. What do I do now? And then you let shame keep you from taking it back. I have no shame. I'll take back underwear. I don't care. If I make a mistake financially buying it, I will take it back. And you should have that same attitude and don't let shame keep you from making a wise redecision after you have made a bad one. Delaying gratification is a sign of spiritual maturity. Did you hear that? Delaying gratification is a sign of spiritual maturity because it carries over into so many different parts of life. And we must surrender to God's leading to delay gratification. Without it, without delaying gratification, I know I'm saying that a lot, but without delaying gratification, there is no sexual purity. There's no sexual purity. There's no savings. There's no preparing anything for the future. There's no studying for classes or tests. You see, much of life is about saying no to what we want to do right then in order to say yes to what we need to do right then. And much of what we need to do involves serving God instead of ourselves. So before you make a purchase, think it through. And if you need a $100 watch, save up $100 and go get that watch. But if you've already got $300 watches laying on the dresser, Now, I could have said $500 watch because that's what an Apple watch there, you know, about cost. 
but I just chose $100 not to make anybody here mad. Kelly, with your Apple Watch. Me with my $100 Garmin watch, which still tells me it's 1120 and I'm out of time. Proverbs 22.7 says, Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Do you want to have true financial peace and health? Don't let your wants for today cause you financial troubles tomorrow. Save up for what you really want, and by the time you have the money for it, you might find that you don't even want that thing anymore. And then guess what? You got cash for something else. There are other financial principles that everyone, everyone here, everyone here, everyone out there needs to learn. Basic financial principles. But if we start with these three, we'll be well on our way to honoring God with our money in the year 2021. And it can be different than maybe any year you have lived up to this point. And having the financial freedom to enjoy life instead of Miserably enduring it over finances. As a pastor and somebody who deals with marriage problems and issues, don't think it's a myth when you hear the stat that probably the greatest problem in marriages is finances. Don't think it's a myth. I don't have exact stats in front of me, but I know that financial issues, problems, the butting of heads is one of the major causes of financial issues within marriage and marriage problems that lead to divorce. Honor God with your money in 2021 and see where it leads you. 360 whatever days it is we have left of this year. Would you pray with me? And if you're willing, let this be your own prayer. Dear God, I thank you for speaking to me today about money. Help me to be humble enough to admit where I am failing, and wise enough to make the changes that you are calling me to make. Forgive me for living selfishly, and help me to start this year out determined to walk closer with you, including with the so very important job of managing my money in a way that honors you and builds your kingdom. So if you're willing, let that be your prayer in Jesus' name. If you're here today and you can't get to applying money in a Christian way because you don't know Jesus is your Savior, the gospel was within here, and I pray that he pricked your heart as you heard the part about where your identity is. And if you have questions about who Jesus is or how you can make him your Savior, your pastoral staff, your deacons, your leaders are here for you. Give them the chance to answer your questions and to help you to make the most important decision you will ever make. We're going to have a time of invitation at this point. You are welcome to come down and, and share that with me. You, th this is an open invitation, but if this is not the time that you choose to do that, don't neglect the decision that God is leading you to make. Do it today.